Ramble. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Yo, what's up? Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck. Your name is Listener. And here we go. Um, look at that. Can you believe it? Here we are again. This is so wonderful. God, the Super Bowl. That happened. Uh, boy, was it super painfully fucking boring. Jesus. There should be some sort of like you know, money back type situation for these poor saps who paid 3000 fucking dollars to go watch, you know, like a, a total of 16 points scored for the biggest game of the goddamn season. I mean, fuck, live sports are boring enough, but that, if you traveled from like your shit town in Massachusetts or like some weird LA suburb to Atlanta, which is a lovely city, no doubt, but it's not fucking Paris. And you went there and like you put yourself up at like, I don't know, a Holiday Inn Express or at best an Embassy Suites. And you like treated yourself to like, you know what, me and Deb, we're going to we're going to pull out all the stops and we're going to go to a Fleming's. We're going to go to a Fleming's and Deb's going to order surf and turf. And it's not her birthday, but you know what? Fuck it. We're going all out. We love the Patriots and damn it, we're going to enjoy ourselves. If you're that guy who overspent on steak and mediocre three and a half star hotels and flights and expensive tickets, I feel like these uh, organizations owe them just like a little bit of money. Or like Tom Brady should just send them a video message thanking them for coming. Jesus. Man, but it happened. Tom Brady, best ever. Can't argue the stats, but is he happy? You know, that's what you always got to get down to, right? These fucking people who are just so damn good at what they do. And I'm a fan, but you know, you wonder what's going on behind those eyes. You know, can anyone be that good looking and good at something and also be full of joy? Because I slightly, highly doubt it. And that's just me. I'm a contrarian and I'm a negative neurotic, but I feel like there's got to be a catch. Really? Can anyone like can anyone win the genetic lottery that hard and also have like a healthy amount of flowing serotonin and dopamine to where they never sort of contemplate their place on this earth? Can they? Maybe. Fuck, I hope not. Good for him. And now he's going back. They were like, what about next year? He's like, I'll be on that veiled fighting for another one, Dan. I don't know if the guy's name was Dan, but I imagine. And here he goes again. Why? I mean, I do get it, right? Because like, if you're so fucking good at something, especially sports, which is like age contingent, right? It's specific. Like You have a window. It's not artistry you can't do it for the rest of your life it's not most things so there's like a shelf life and to be that good to have devoted literally probably 90 percent of your waking hours to this thing and then to like let it go what do you do how do you find meaning in your life how do you matter what what do you fill your days with I mean, sure, there's like all the bullshit, which I'm sure there's plenty of if you're a guy like Tom Brady or just whomever who uh, eventually retires from a sport at the top of their game. I mean, you get to play a lot of golf, I'm sure, with some like really 
impressive people. Maybe even the president. I'm sure, you know, I heard President Obama and Larry David golfed. I, you know, God love Larry David. I don't think he has a lot to do with like international affairs. I think he's just Larry David's awesome and Obama's awesome. And they were like, and Obama was like, oh, oh Larry, Larry, oh, let's hit uh, nine holes before lunch. I'll meet you at Riviera in Brentwood. We're going to play some golf. What's your handicap? 72. See you there. I don't know if that's like an appropriate handicap. I don't know a lot about golf. But I imagine they had a great time just because they're both the best at what they did. And fucking don't write me. I'm a big fan of Obama and you don't have to be. And that's okay. Um, but yeah, what do you do with yourself when you're, when you're done with that thing? And you kind of like can never go back slightly. Like Daniel Day-Lewis retired from acting. But at any point, he could just be like, I unretire. But, like, if Tom Brady retires, I mean, yes, we hear these stories, but for better or for worse, at, like, 46, 47, his ticket will have been punched. He will be done with this thing. He won't be able to keep up. It just won't be physically possible. And then I guess you just got to really get into your family. You got to be, like, a hobby guy, which I am not. I don't really like devoting much time to things that don't make me money. And it's not that I'm, like, money-obsessed because there's not much that I want, but I'm just, like, built with that thing of, like, if you're going to devote time to something, like, make it quasi-fun, but also, like, make it so that it can be, you know, hopefully contributing to your overall security on this earth, which, for better or for worse, is uh, financial gain. I don't know. I don't know what Tom Brady does. I always said, you know, I find it interesting because in, in my experience, and I know it's not everyone, but see a lot of pe- older people like in their 60s and 70s sort of maybe not find God's not the right word, but like to become more religious or spiritual or what have you in whatever vein that is. Maybe they grew up Catholic or Jewish and they become more so or they like go on retreats and they just find some sort of spirituality or enlightenment. And my theory about that is, is that, you know, you spend your like twenties and thirties trying to validate yourself as a, as a professional and, and, and sort of achieve prestige through achievements, through career and becoming a tastemaker and an ingenue and, and, and the talk of the down, the roll of the dice. I don't know what that last one meant. But, you know, you can try to be like a big deal. Or as the Jews say, a big macher. A big macher. And then you have kids, and then you spend the next 20 years really devoting a lot of time to that. And you give them all you got. And inevitably they resent you, but, you know, this is the circle of life. Because you're like, well, I'll let you resent me for a while, you asshole, because I'll need you in my 80s and it'll be lonely and more or less you'll feel guilty enough to take care of me then when I need you. And so like you do that. So you make, hopefully made enough money to survive and you've achieved those goals. And then you raise some kids and that was fulfilling. And then you get in your sixties and seventies. And unless you really want to fucking travel, what do you do? So then like, it's like the last thing is to like, find your peace with God in the world and like your place in it because you're leaving soon and you're like, well, 
I guess it helps to believe in God then for sure. I don't really know. I believe in God. Why am I saying I don't know? Why am I ashamed to admit that I believe in God? I guess because it doesn't seem like the most logical thing. And most of the comedians I know like don't believe in that. And I like to think of myself in that class or at least to aspire to. And I'm not sure there are like a lot of God-fearing comedians. Well, I think like, you know, I hear Stephen Colbert's a really good Catholic and there are people here and there. But for the most part, you know, George Carlin, Bill Hicks, these people, Mark Marin. I don't know how much they believe in God, but, I, you know, I believe in God. And so I imagine that will make like the slow ease out of this life and into the next or whatever is. I don't really think there's anything next either. But I imagine it'll make it easier, you know, because, you know, I I think that if you've got like a couple breaths left on earth, you don't want to be like taking them going like (laughs) nothing. It was nothing meaningless. Or maybe you do. I don't know. I don't really know the answer to that. And I don't know where that was going. I just worry about what Tom Brady's going to fucking do when he retires. And is that so bad that I worry for Tom Brady? You know? But that's me. People worry about the homeless. People are out there worrying about uh, poverty and world hunger and disease. And I'm here worrying about rich white men. Because somebody needs to. Anyway. What else? Oh. I was watching like one of these entertainment tonight shows or whatever on Saturday night because I've got a child now. So we spend many Saturday nights now with my in-laws, which is incredibly lovely um, because we're so lucky that first of all, they're awesome. And secondly, that they're like down to help us with the kid who like really requires a lot of attention right now and is absurdly selfish. And I'm hoping he grows out of this, but nevertheless, it It's a really great thing, but, you know, like, my wife and I aren't having, like, the craziest social life right now. It's a lot of, you know, just chilling at home and whatnot, and so anyway, it's Saturday night, and we're we're watching Entertainment Tonight, and and, and one of the guys is interviewing Jason Bateman, who's in a Super Bowl ad, and, and he's like, Jason, why, what inspired you to want to be in a Super Bowl commercial, and I'm sure Jason, I couldn't even hear at this point. I'm sure Jason Bateman had some like beautiful response ready that he like calculated in that brilliant mind of his to completely like satisfy the interviewer while also like adding some fun, charming spin on it. But what I wanted Jason Bateman to say was the money, dude, money, 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 fucking currency, money, fucking They could have paid me in euros or Bitcoin. Doesn't matter. Lots of money because they have a huge budget for this kind of thing. And that means that these are the best commercials to get. And for a guy like me, I want to be in the best commercials and I've earned it. So I want to make the most money in the coolest commercial, which is why I'd want to do it on the biggest stage. And yeah, I'd probably do a commercial for like the Oscars or one that would play before the NBA championship or, you know, I, I don't fucking know, like, the season finale of American Idol. Like, yeah, there are a few things I would do a commercial for because I'm Jason fucking Bateman. And I'm, I'm not going to do a commercial that runs before CSI fucking Tacoma. So, the money. The money. 
There's, uh, they pay me an absurd amount of money to do this. I don't know. It just seemed like a crazy question to ask. Like, it wasn't, you know, you, sometimes when someone does like a big action movie for a lot of money and the interviewer says, why did you want to do this movie? Then you can kind of be like, well, the money, but, you know, I also really wanted to travel and work with The Rock and train with Navy SEALs for a month and get to jump off a build, building with like cables attached to me. Like then, you know, there it's like a multi-layered answer, but this is a fucking commercial. What are you going to say? Because I love Pepsi. And I would fucking, I will die for that. I would have done it for free. I mean, one time I was drinking Pepsi next to my sick grandma. And we enjoyed a sip together. We cheers. And she flatlined in front of me. And I'll never forget that fucking Pepsi. <laughs> and I'll do commercials for that forever. <laughs> like what? Nobody does that. No one feels that. No shade on Pepsi. I'm sure it's a delicious beverage. I haven't had one in a while. But like, people don't feel that kind of connection because it's a commercial. You're hawking shit. You're fucking selling something. So if you're going to do that, you want to do it like in a quasi-cool way. But you do it for the money. You do it so that you don't have to like go leave LA for fucking two months to go do like some terrible movie to pay your bills that you know you're going to hate and that you're going to look like a goon in and you have to like leave your family no you do a commercial so that you like make some scratch to pay for your kids private school because i'm you know i venture to guess i don't know him but uh you know i'm assuming jason bateman's kids are not going to public you know i'm assuming a lot of these big stars kids aren't they probably are who am i the asshole here generalizing and assuming i actually was at a party a very fancy party that john stamos invited me to once Forgive me for dropping that name. And I was, I had no reason to be there. I was, I was, I did not belong there in any sense of the word, but there were like a very, like a lot of fucking heavy hitters. A lot of people who have been number one on the call sheet, like stars of things that are, you know, just killing it. And uh, no one really talked to me except Jason Bateman. He couldn't have been lovelier. Jason Thank you for making me feel good in that party that I had no business being at. You, sir, are a great man, and I love Ozark, and you're a really talented director. Okay, enough of that. Who's on the show this week? Who? Pete Holmes. Can you fucking believe that? Pete Holmes. I'm such a big fan of Pete's. Oh, my God. I've been listening to his podcast for years. In our interview, I asked him, like, how long have you been making your podcast? He was like, I don't know. And I found that odd. Because if I was him with, like, a podcast that was that good, I'd be like, fucking four years, three months, two days. Why? Of course, I would know. But nevertheless, like, I'm I'm in the infancy of my podcast. Like, this is episode 40. I know that offhand. I would know that any day but Sunday. But nevertheless, Pete Holmes, I'm a big fan. I reached out on Instagram. He said yes. That is so cool. And he just had a wonderful, lovely little baby like I did. And 
he too is, you know, wonderfully neurotic. And we talk about that in the way that I am. There was just so much commonality there. He is on a wonderful show on HBO called Crashing, which I will plug again after this interview, but go watch it. It's on HBO. It's hilarious. It's in its third season. Judd Apatow, who I owe an amends to, who the incredibly talented Judd Apatow, Pete Holmes, uh, it's just such a good show. I've been such a fan since the beginning, and uh, I feel so lucky that I got to talk to Pete, and he had me to his home. Thanks, Pete. Enjoy Pete Holmes. I said Pete a lot. Sorry. It worked. Look. I got, like, ninja socks. <laughs> yeah. Remember ninja socks? Yeah, of course. What were they? There's, like, a proper name for that. A ninja sock? Uh-huh. I believe a it's tabby. Not nin- it's not a ninja sock. It's a tabby boot. Ooh, perhaps. Wow, somebody, I know things. Somebody has karate magazine. Don't worry. How old are you? I'm 32. Well, that's. I guess maybe we're close enough that you remember like what it was like in the 80s, and you bought like karate magazines. Oh shit, yeah. Right, and you'd be like, if I had nunchucks, like, it was. It, it meant happen. a lot. I remember I would go. I was a fat young man at like 12 years old, and yeah. I would go to Barnes and Noble, and there would be a martial arts shelf. Yeah. And there would be books like How to Be a Ninja. Yeah. They knew I, what they were doing. Yeah. I was like, I need we this. We thought somebody was really telling us to be How to Be a Ninja when probably, the, well, actually, what do you think? Were they books like targeted to us, like doughy children that like were obsessed <laughs> with ninjas? Or was it like a real guy with a mustache in Arizona that was like, I'm a ninja and I'll show you how? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, the book seemed rather adult, mm. but. I think you're right. Yeah. I think they were real. Yes. I think we were really, and we had nunchucks that were real. That would kill people. Like wooden. They were wooden, chain-connected nunchucks, and my parents just bought them for us. God bless your parents. I know. Well, the coolest people That is ever. my little taste of, well, <laughs> that was my little taste of like kids that were raised in like the 70s and stuff were like, they gave us BB guns that shot like, you know, metal bullets and stuff. We got nunchucks. We never hurt ourselves. <laughs> yeah. it's good, good for us new parents to keep in mind. Exactly. Like, you don't have to be that crazy. I guess. I mean, I'm not going to give her nunchucks, but it's a wonder that we didn't hurt ourselves. Anything close? Slingshot? <laughs> size. Yeah. <laughs> I'll size. give her size. I can support that. <laughs> or what about like the ones that were like a sharecropper's tool and they're like the stick? Oh the my God. On a, on a chain? Yes. Who knows how to wield that? <laughs> Because the chain, by design, it means it's coming back at you, which means there's like a, a, a crescent moon-shaped blade yes. circling back. Headed for your you paper wanna, bag body. You want that on a staff so it's as far away, f- so you can, you know, sift your wheat or chop down your wheat. Sure. Probably not sift it. I remember in fifth grade, there was an epidemic of kids getting uh, Swiss Army knives in my class. I had one. And my mom was the mom that called the other parents saying how unacceptable it was. Yeah. Well, your mom was right. <laughs> she was. I was whittling like an old prospector on my porch with a Swiss army knife. Really? With the main blade. Just because like, I don't know. I kind of look back on it fondly. There's so much, so much screen time these days. It, it, it reminds me of that Black Mirror episode. I don't know if you saw it where there's a guy and he's just in a room. It's like a cell, but every wall is a screen. Have mm. you seen that one? Uh-uh. It doesn't matter. That's basically the image that you need. Gotcha. But like, it's just constantly pumping content in there. So like, it really simulates the feeling of like every everything you think you need. So, and there's a contest and that's where it gets black mirror you to like get out of the cell. Any hoozle. I feel like that's how much like life is like that now. And I look back at bored 12 year old me 
that like a knife, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the thought of getting a Swiss army knife, something real, tactile and real. It had weight to it. It wasn't going to like delight me or stimulate my retinas or anything. It was just a knife. And then I would go like, well, I'm going to go in the woods and find a stick. And I found a stick. And then I started, this is like what they did in like the Puritan times, a knife and a stick. And then I sat on the porch because kids don't know what they're doing. Not in a bad way. I'm not saying they're stupid. It's just like we're trying to figure out the world. Mm. And I probably saw on a TV show or a movie, people would sit on porches and whittle. And I was like, I'm going to whittle. Yeah. I want it. It looked relaxing. You've never seen someone whittling and looked stressed out. So I whittled. And I fucking- Begrudgingly whittling. Nobody begrudgingly <laughs> whittles. It's always a pleasure activity. Sure. <clears throat> but just like- Reading isn't guaranteed relax. Whittling isn't guaranteed relax. I, I was whittling and I and I did cut myself and bled all over the porch. Not not majorly, but enough that I dripped a blood trail, like murder style, into my house that stayed on the house. I, I'm, I think the new house, the people in that house painted, but it would have still been there. Like it was enough to like permanently scar the house. Your parents left it as a reminder. They, sh I, I think my parents left it because they were bad at things like that. They were bad at like. <laughs> You know, you were talking about our house. It's hard. Maintaining a house is hard. It seems it's so <laughs> like adult. Boo-hoo, I know. I know. It's so grown up. It's so grown up. But it's actually, do you hear a high-pitched, is that in my head? I think I, I'm having like sinus pressure today, and I think I'm hearing a high-pitched. I'm a, I'm a neurotic Jew, so now that you yeah, said that, I can create you hear it. it. <laughs> but I, God, I, I love the neurotic Jewish people's. Do you? Are you kidding me? Because I'm a neurotic Lithuanian mm. and we don't have the benefit of the stereotype. <laughs> what I mean is there's this permission to be a neurotic Jew. You yeah, know what I mean? Like it's almost like community and, and, and you don't hide it. Like wasps are like hiding their neuroses so much better than, especially like the New York Jewish stereotype, which is just like, oh, they think someone's following me. Like the Woody Allen kind of like overblown neurotic. So we would all go around the, the waspy Anglo-Saxon, you know, goys would like pretend we weren't neurotic, but mm -hmm. we were. And what did that look like? Just trying just to be a lot of repression. <laughs> it's a lot, lot of, of repression. Drinking. Yeah, and a lot of drinking. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely think that was it. Like I used to. I haven't. Uh, I stopped drinking, but I used to drink a lot to. I think deal with and process and actually kind of work through less than pleasant emotions. Especially, well, I don't know. That's is this the a serious cure. Podcast. It's whatever you want it okay. to be. It's everything. I don't want to be too dark. I'm just saying. Please, like, well, I'm 11 years sober, so they oh, heard me talk a lot about it. Oh, so great! Please, yeah, so jump you, must in. Have, you talked about Dax and I talking about it. I love now talking to sober people. Mm. Any club, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I enjoy like talking to new parents, and you're that. I enjoy. I love talking to sober people, and you're that. So yeah. that, we're off to a good start. But I, I remember, like, I used to have a joke where I was like, I, I for most of my life until I was 28. I only felt happy or sleepy. That's not true, though. Of course, I felt everything. You know what I mean? My brother's girlfriend just was like, I love your brother because he's so calm. He was there. And I was just like, he's not calm. Right. Like, I was like, he's like a duck. Like, ducks look calm and underneath their feet. Because I'm that way, too. You know what I mean? We're, well, a lot of seemingly calm people are feeling all the same emotions that, like, you know, effervescent people are feeling. They just kind of do it differently or they've learned that it's safer to sort of like be stoic. I'm yes. not speaking for my brother. I'm just saying some people do that. So I was, I thought that it was polite to show happiness 
or sleepiness and everything else was impolite. So it sort of got sent down to my liver where it got, I don't mean by alcohol. I just mean like I had to keep it somewhere in my body. And then when I would drink, I love drinking alone, which sounds like a red flag, but like, I don't know. I don't know how it is because the more I talked about it, the more I would meet other people that were just like, you know, I keep it to myself, but I also love to drink alone. Just like we're, we're in a lone culture in big ways. Yeah. It's a phenomenon. People love playing video games and getting drunk by themselves. People love going on Facebook or shopping online alone, having some wine or whatever. Stuff that would have been preposterous or at least a little bit strange, you know, maybe, I don't know if it was, but maybe earlier is now a little bit more normal. And I was one of those people. So I would drink, especially after my wife loved me, I'd drink and I'd have like full-blown, basically what a therapist would do, which is have like a role play with you. Like what would you say to your wife if you could talk to her? Uh, because that's healthy to get those things out. I would have to be drunk and by myself to be like, let me tell you something. <laughs> like, oh, like, just yes. like talking to myself. <laughs> I love, I talk to myself a lot. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I mean, what's been, what's revealed to me in the time that I've been sober and like you can never sort of, I can only speak through my own experience. Sure, yeah. But there's like the very clear cut sort of red flag alcoholic and then mm. there's all these sort of gradations and nuances to it and what's right. been what's been re- revelatory for me is to see how so many people have sort of weirdly slightly unhealthy relationships with alcohol yes but they very much control it like no one i know like no one with a healthy relationship with alcohol decides to abstain for a long period of time right like my wife will drink half a margarita and I will look at her and say, what's your problem? <laughs> what are you doing? And she'd be like, I'm doing it for the taste. And I'm like, what that are you talking about? That is just the most about? insane thing and I've ever heard in my life. I remember, this is not how my brain works. My brain is like dominoes. Yeah. And again, to, to just echo your point, yeah. it was never, I say sexy to be funny, but it was never like the big bombastic drunk stories. It was always like, if I, I, I just started doing it involuntarily. That's yeah. what was happening. And, and I noticed it's the same with cookies. I can't have cookies in the house. Mm. I can actually have alcohol in the house because it just doesn't tempt me in the way that it used to. I just really kind of, my my brain is good at taking orders. It's very black and white. I yeah. can't be like, have half a margarita, but I can say stop. But if you say go, it's like, all right, let's go like hard forever. Yeah. Like I never had a beer that I didn't want to chug. I was like, why am I sipping this? What am I, Sam Adams? Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? <laughs> Stupid. What am I enjoying the hops? Exactly. Yeah. Get the feeling in you. Yeah, you drink for effect. You drink for effect. It was I and I that's why I liked liquor. I was like, what are we doing? Just get it in you. Coffee too. Co- and espresso. I drink espresso. Actually, espresso has less caffeine. But you know what I mean? Like I want to drink a small amount of something so I'm not bloated. Alcoholics that are like, I had 30 beers last night. I'm like, have you heard of whiskey? Yeah. When are you like upgrade? You could go to the bathroom one twenty-fifth as many times. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're drinking a gallon of water with your stew like you know what i mean yeah be nice to your kidneys i i mean you're still fucking your kidneys <laughs> with uh with whiskey but like it just i just like going for it my brain is very stupid yeah i also think whiskey is kind of fucked i think it's a lie yeah you know what one of my big things I, I interrupted you and we're no, gonna, no, we're gonna circle back but the idea is if you're following a narrative of happiness all i go for it if there there are people out there i'm sure that just have like really potentially I'm open to the possibility that they have wonderful relationships with alcohol. It's it's not a thing for them. Or, or maybe they even drink it in an excess. It's just like, it's that's it's working for them, okay? That's fine. My biggest thing is like, if you're following, if you're telling us yourself a story of what it means to be happy, 
and you're acting on that story, just ask yourself, did you write that story or mm. was it given to you? That's my biggest thing yeah. in all of, all of life. You're, you're chasing something. Was it your idea? That's all. Well, I'm fascinated by the people who drink successfully and do it well. And I, I, you know, people tend to do that thing, which kills me. It's like when you win a gold medal at the Special Olympics, when you tell someone you're sober for 10 years and they go, good for you. Yeah, right. God, is it? It's like a condescending. Sometimes they want to cheers you. Like, right. Because they don't know any other way to deal with it. And then, but when I'm watching someone really kind of getting a little loose and having a glass of wine or two, yeah. and becoming more social, and, and I can really see them enjoying themselves and that they're not going to wake up the next morning wishing that they and had regretting it. another bottle. Yeah, I hear that. My, but here's, what we're doing now is we're, we're speaking to my brain. And my mm. brain is flawed. Yeah, I, I really want people to, <laughs> I don't care what people do. What I do is I separate myself from my brain. So I like to speak in terms like my brain is a little bit stupid uh, or I know how my brain works and my brain. So it's not right or wrong. It's just the story that my brain tells myself goes that people that are drinking alcohol, it paints in these black, these big black and whites. I don't buy it. If they're just like, it helped me be a little bit loose. I'm like, just wait 20 minutes. You go to a party and you're tense, and you have the glass of wine, and then about 25 minutes later, you're loose and you're, and you're having a nice chat. Okay, be a scientist. Go to a party, have a control. Mm. Have a control element to your experiment. Go to a party the next night, same group, same kind of feeling, and don't have the wine and see if you feel better in 25 minutes. Then we can start talking about your data. You know what I mean? Yes. Was it the wine or was that a story? This this narrative that we've been sold, like just like red wine and Netflix. It's like these people don't love you. They don't <laughs> fucking care about you. The vineyard owner doesn't give a shit about you. Yellowtail doesn't give a fuck about you. Coppola Wines doesn't care about me. They Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> fucking hates you. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. These, but Sophia Coppola, it's a fan. she's okay. And Roman's uh, kind of on the fence. The Coppola family, it's you know, <laughs> you're gonna find some hits and some misses when it comes to liking you. Fair. What I'm saying is, like, don't mistake. Like, I'm all for freedom and liberation, and I'm all for, and that's what we're talking about. Like, when you're loosening up in a party, you're having some internal mechanism where you're green lighting your, your own being, mm. your own thoughts, and you're allowing your own comfort and stuff. And when, when people start monetizing something that, like, will get you there, as I'm, so I haven't been drinking for over a year. I'm not, like, a pro at being sober. It's only been about a year and a couple months or something. But... uh yeah, I, I can go to party. Have a, have a great time. That's what I mean. Who told you that story? Was it Anheuser-Busch? Because guess what? They don't give a fuck about you. You know what I mean? But it goes so deep, right? Like there have been winos and drunks for, for millennia, sure. right? right? So we've always been, like to your point earlier, I found, and, and I had a, a buddy who would always say this, like when you talk about alcoholism and if you consider it a disease, the best way to describe it for me is it's a disease in that it, it reveals itself in my dis-ease. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I've had these natural trigger points, these these coping mechanisms that are deeply embedded since I was yeah. a child. Yeah. And because of that, in my adult life, because I'm no longer that powerless child anymore, yeah. but I've brought with me all this wreckage and dysfunction, it makes me uncomfortable. And I found this beautiful elixir. I get it. That has this immediate sort of anesthetizing effect. Absolutely does. Yeah. And you actually touched on something. I think a lot of alcohol is nobody tells me what to do. 
And I'm like, you're, you're, there's that feeling, like, I'm going to have this and nobody can stop me. So it's the feeling of liberty. Mm. But really, what I'm trying to challenge in myself is that that isn't real liberty. You know what I mean? Real no. liberty is saying, I don't want this product that, that was sold to me through billions of dollars of advertising and, and all lo lots of ways that it's framed. I talk with Val all the time. I love Mad Men. It's my favorite show. And I go, I've never had alcohol be what it is on that show or any show for that matter. Mm. I was just talking about this with somebody where it's like alcohol is either the extreme like boyhood. He's got the vodka in the laundry room and he's a fucking abusive asshole. Okay, we get that. And then we also, or we have it and it's this magical thing. You want to drink it when you're stressed? That's never been me. <laughs> you got a job interview. Better have a martini. Are you fucking kidding me? I got to focus. You got to like be in your body. Then you drink it when you celebrate. I don't even think that was like something that I did. I When I had a good feeling, I was already having a good feeling and like compounding it with alcohol. That's what I'm saying. That, that was just a story that was told to me. They were like, alcohol, it's, it's for when you're stressed. It's for when you're tired. No, it's not. It doesn't help you sleep. You're getting up to piss. It can only stay in your body for about 90 minutes. You're going to get up in the middle of your sleep cycle. <laughs> it's a lie is what I'm saying. So what, but to, to go with you, as somebody who also inherited psychological baggage, as we all do from our families Everyone. and stuff, I also saw in my parents them using alcohol in that way. So it, it stands to reason that I would do it and even looked forward to doing it. And, and, it, and it did, quote unquote, work. You know what I mean? When people, when you and I both enjoyed it, what we enjoyed about it, and if I do miss anything about it, it's that it would shut off my brain right? I could, I always said to Val, we would burn the day. Like I'd be like, I just want to burn a day. And that would mean, <clears throat> this sounds real. I don't care how it sounds. The way that my life is, I work at night. I, I work all the time. Like we're doing this, then at night go out and do a show. So sometimes the only time to really like be reckless would be during the day. Sure. So would start drinking at like, I don't know, noon, 1 PM. It didn't matter. Cause I would get drunk and then get, uh, take a nap, and I'd wake up sober. I wouldn't drive, but I would be fine to do a show. I didn't do that often. But what I wanted to do when, when I was going after that was turn my brain off. And it did do that. I wasn't really able to obsess and to like circle my thoughts as much. I, I was way more capable of enjoying the movie The Expendables. You know what I mean? Since I've stopped drinking, my movies have changed. Like the type of I movie. That. You know what I mean? You don't have that. I always used to get drunk and I'd be like, I'm going to get a gun. Like you'd have these different <laughs> thoughts. Like something was like taking its control over you. That's so <laughs> you want no one to tell you what to do. Why are you letting alcohol tell you what to do? So anyway, but to have sympathy and compassion for ourselves and for other people that are drinking. Let's agree with the idea that turning off our brains is something that we need to do. I would argue that there's better and less harmful ways to do that. Yes. So let's agree that that's a good thing to do, to turn off and get away from our minds. Let's agree that alcohol can do that. And that's why I went to it. And that's why I constantly went to it. And then let's agree that there are other ways to do it. <laughs> One. Yes, my pee was outstanding. Oh, good. Um... Yeah, man. Booze. 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 I clearly love talking about it. I mean, it's a fascinating thing. And I think for me, you know, what was revealed was was that there was just diminishing returns. That alcohol yeah. worked beautifully for a short period of time. And then it just so 
didn't. That's what Val and I were just talking about, man, is, is the idea. It's always like chasing the dragon, right? There are those perfect times. I was just telling our babysitter, actually, Katie, I was like, there's one of my happiest moments was I dated a woman who uh, we drank a lot and we smoked cigarettes mm. a lot. And I'm like, I can still, I don't know if you have memories of feelings. Like I, I can see where I was and stuff, but I can actually remember the feeling. And I had never really gotten day drunk on Manhattans and smoked, I, don't, I think it was marble Parliament. lights. Something like a real cigarette, you know, yeah. <laughs> like a fucking nasty, Ugh. just disgusting cigarette. It just goes so well together. I remember that hitting my brain and going, oh shit, like this is it. Like, so yep. nicotine is an upper, obviously it's like a mood elevator. It's uh, it's an, and, and, but don't forget the smoke is also like making you a little bit off axis. It's like, it's a weird thing to inhale one of our natural enemies in small, small amounts. <laughs> so it gets you high, you know what I mean? In a way. And then the, and then the alcohol, the down and the up and the two great tastes, it tastes great together. But then like... <clears throat> We were saying that like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It's just one of the conditions of being human is like you had New York pizza or you did um, stand up at, on the Tonight Show or whatever it might be. And it gave you this feeling. And then the brain goes, well, let's ring that bell again. We're just rats in the box pushing the button mm. for the pellet. And I wonder if the rats have that feeling too. The first time the pellet comes down, it's a thrill and a shock and they get more endorphins and more pleasure out of it. The next time it's not, not so much. What I'm saying is there, everything has diminishing returns. We've all had like the pancakes that for some reason, whatever's in pancakes, your body just needed, you needed that decadence. You needed that fuck everything. I'm having pancakes. But for like five bites. Pan you can't eat that whole plate. <laughs> Pancakes are um, it's I, the worst bait and switch ever. I agree. Yes. They, well, there you go. That's that's also it's uh, you're chasing the dragon of pancakes even when they work. But then, like the next day, this this is my big thing is like it doesn't. Like I remember the the last Red Dead Redemption I played <laughs> and I drank whiskey while I was playing it, and I had one of the most like serene playing the game. It's nighttime. The stars come out. My trusty horse fucking campfire it's it's all in the video game but like i had the warmest happiest feeling of mm. bliss it wasn't just drunkenness it was bliss so what do you do the next day two days later maybe that weekend you try it again why doesn't it work because human beings are rubik's cubes man like what's going on inside you is more than a rubik's cube it's like 50 million rubik's cubes mm moving constantly. These are our emotions. These are our memories. These are what you dreamt about last night. This is how somebody looked at you on the street. This is the weather. Today it's rainy. Why are we a little bit like lower or slower when it's rain? Like Because we are affected beings and all of those principles are at play when you eat the pancakes. But do you think that, for, and I'll venture to say for people like us, and that I... I look at, you know, those stoic types of those people that just seem to have it all together. Mm. And I, what I've come to realize is like, I don't think it's that they don't feel the ups and downs to life the way I do. It's that they're less reactive to it, that they've accepted the fact that this is life, that to embrace joy is to embrace suffering, that it's all impermanent, that the That's highs are very sweet of you. I, my feeling is different. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I totally disagree. My feeling is it might be, it could be that. 
I remember Elizabeth Gilbert did my podcast, and she told a story about a guy going off to learn to meditate. He went to India or something, an Irish guy. And he came back after, it's a story, so it doesn't matter how many years. After five years, he becomes like a master meditator. He's tranquil and he's peaceful and he comes home. And his dad, his da, is looking at the fire and he's chewing on his pipe. And the dad says, uh, why do you learn to meditate, son? Do the stupid voice. And the the son says, "Uh, to calm my mind, dad. And then the dad goes, I already have a calm mind, son. And you know what I say to that? Bull fucking shit. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Obviously, I'm projecting the people like that that I've known. This is a story, so we don't know. So we you can't think know. Everyone's like you? I no. I think that's a great question. And no, obviously not everybody's like me. But the stories we tell, right? You're saying maybe they've just made peace. That's a pretty active way of becoming serene in the world, that they've realized that life is suffering and that there's impermanent. I I, I don't even know if they realize it on that level. They just have their disposition. They're just like, what are you going to do? Their feeling is like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Some days you feel like this. Some days you feel like this. I still got to go to the store. Yeah, that it comes a little bit more naturally to them. That could be. So let's agree that that's one of the possibilities. And let's agree that one of the possibilities that some people, some Irish does, do just have calm minds. Okay. I also think that there are people, I don't underestimate our mind's potential, huge systems, huge bureaucratic blocks of real estate in our mind devoted to denial and suppression. Mm. That And that's what we're talking about is like, so we give ourselves these little things, uh, cigarettes or coffee or alcohol or action movies or whatever it might be is to like give our brains something to make us feel good all the time because there's so, 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 so much that you don't want to think about. So that's stoic, like Nick Offerman plays him in the movie. Sure. You know what I mean? Yes. There's Nick and he's just at the diner and he just gets his two eggs and his two bacons and he doesn't think about where those things, he's not like a fucking LA hippie that's like, well, the nitrates and he's just eating his eggs. Yeah. I, it's an interesting thing. I'm open that he might just be s- smooth and still like a stone, but come on, man. He's There's, still a human. No one's getting off <laughs> scot-free. <laughs> I remember like, I don't know. I remember asking my shrink this after seeing him for you know over 15 years and it's working. Um, and I remember looking at him and go, be honest. Are there just some fucking happy people not that you meet them because all you see is sick fucks all day but like are there just some people that aren't contemplating their their place in this world and thinking about the fucking abyss and he looked at me and he said yeah he's like i think there are some people that just don't look as deeply and they're not without having momentary you know moments of anguish and and acting out to a certain level but it's not to the degree in which you do it see I wouldn't trade places with those people in a million years. In Why? fact, because I think, <laughs> I don't think that's real happiness. I, I don't yeah. think blocking out huge swaths of existence and just being ignorant is bliss. I don't think that's real happiness. I think real happiness isn't a new car and just loving every movie that you see and having pizza on it Fridays. Isn't? I don't think it is. So what is it? I think it's liberation. It's realizing what we're doing here. It's it's waking up 
from the dream. It's not just playing the game and playing it for good points. Look at all the happy points I have. I eat ice cream and I don't even care about the <laughs> calories. That's not happiness. That's walking around in a coma. Mm. You're Mario in Mario Brothers and you're looking at your points. Wrong game. Realize you're in a game. Realize that something's playing you. Wake up, your pixels. The mushrooms are pixels. The question blocks are pixels. The bricks are pixels. Your enemy is made of the same thing as you. That's bliss. What I'm looking for is a happiness that's not contingent on, on your circumstance. Because those people, you know, even if they are just happy because they have their morning paper and their coffee and this and that, those things can all be taken away. I, I'd, I'd really like to have a happiness that transcends space and, and time and circumstance. But are the ends the same in the respect of like whether it's your version of that or the other pizza? It's ice really cream what I if, keep realizing that I'm not including in these conversations is whether or not you believe in reincarnation. If you believe in reincarnation, the game is very, very different than, in, than if you don't. Because you could say, okay, well, let's not believe in reincarnation let's let's think you just die and it's over then maybe you could convince me that like just being just a happy simple guy what or or woman just kind of doing your thing and you just kind of always got a smile on your face just sort of sweet and fine and maybe and then you die and you're not even afraid because you're just like oh so it's part of life and you just die um then that's then maybe that person does win i think there's something more complicated and mysterious going on here and I think there there might be, I'm very open, let's say, to the idea that we keep doing this until we figure it out. So when I see you having existential crises that might be uncomfortable, I go, what grace, what fucking good fortune that sure. this time around you're facing some of these puzzles because that's the point. Maybe you already had that. Let's let as a thought experiment. I'm not saying this is how it is. As a thought experiment, I would wager it's possible that you and I both already had lives like that and nothing was learned. Guess what? Another time around. And we keep doing that and doing that and doing that until you realize that Mario isn't the point and that it's all made of the same ones and zeros and you got to suck yourself out of the game as long as we're defeating bowser that's all i care about you have to realize you are bowser i am fuck <laughs> out of feeling i'm not toad you don't put toad on me no toad you're toad too man and the princess it's all pixels fuck <laughs> <laughs> but i i guess was bowser like, fucking her okay listen. Like, what's going on there yeah why right. does he want her it's very interesting because he's just withholding I don't know. Because as long as your happiness is contingent okay, <laughs> the, on the material the way, Mario world. I will call bullshit on me because my happiness, I'm not there at all. I, I look at enlightenment as happy for no reason. Happy because you're just aware of being, of the miracle of being. Mm. And we can get little tastes of this. Those, those moments where you don't want anything. You're just there. You're just here. You're in the park. You're merging with a tree or a flower. You're having a beautiful transcendent. You're, what are you transcending? You're transcending the trap of what I need. I'll be happy if I have coffee or I'll be happy if I have a nap. You're just there and you're in infinity. You're not waiting for infinity when you die. You're in infinity and you're participating with it and you're lost. That's happiness. And it's not because you're like, I got a raise today or I or want a scratch off or, or like, I don't know. I just, those pancakes really made me feel good. Fuck that. That's an endless game. That's, that's what we were doing when we were drinking, chasing the next thing. And that Nick Offerman character, make no mistake, seems pretty simple. But in my version, I'm making this guy up. You know, he wants his, he wants his chair and his TV. You know what I mean? He wants something. 
And I, I'm not there. I, I'm my happiness is so linked to Valerie and my baby, and and being able to express myself and be able to create, and and you know, I fucking travel and do nice things. So I'm I'm not there. I'm just saying I'm aware and have seen the potential of of something else of getting out of the game. Yeah, we just have another ad for you guys, so get excited, because, you know, like, why not, right? What, you think podcasts are free? Well, technically they are, but we have overhead, all right? So here we go. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. But you can make it a reality with Squarespace. I mean, you can create a beautiful website. Do you want to showcase your work or blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, promote your physical or online business, announce an upcoming event, or even a special project? Squarespace does all of that by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They have 24-7 award-winning customer support. Even if you don't need support, if you're just lonely, maybe just call them up and chat with them for a while. I'm sure they're lovely. They have free and secure hosting, nothing to patch or upgrade ever, and analytics that will help you grow in real time. They're going to let you make it yourself easily, and that's the best part. Make a beautiful website. Use Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash curious for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code curious to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. All right, let's get back to the show. I just wonder, like my last question to that is, was that like, if the goal is sort of like the age old ancient truths of like gratitude, acceptance, surrender, like being able to be unencumbered by self so that you can be of service to others. Yeah, right? sure. And, and I've seen that achieved by people who have done that deep seeking and meditation and all the things we're talking about. And I think I've also seen people do all those things who can enjoy a pizza and don't contemplate the universe as much and just kind of have a nice disposition. So if the ends is the same, where they're being of service to their fellows, right? does it matter how they get there? That's, that's see, I'm glad we're talking about this. First of all, don't mistake me for someone who knows, capital K <laughs> knows. I don't really know. We're figuring this out. We're talking about it together. Yeah, think tank. Think tank. I will say it's the difference between saying playing Mario Brothers well or realizing you're not like identifying with Mario and playing well, mm. freeing the princess, getting all the coins, eating all the mushrooms. Okay, that's your thoughtless uh, or 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 what's a better word? Unconscious, but still good achieving, still good deed doing thing. That's how I see that. Is that you played the game very very well? To me. The the next level would be to play the game very, very well, but realize you're not Mario. You're the guy with the controller in your hands. Sure. That you're outside of it. Because if if the game is about some sort of higher realization that we we've all tasted, everything was given to you. You have no name. You know what I mean? There's no story. A ladybug doesn't know it's Italian. You know what I mean? You ever look at a lady? I was in Italy. I saw a ladybug. I was like, this ladybug doesn't know it's Italian. So much has been put on you. You are awareness. Mm. Your consciousness. You're up here. You feel it yeah. generating outside of you. You didn't ask for it. You didn't start it. You know what I mean? It just happens. Just like the day. You don't start the day. The day's just happening. It's just going. 
And I think there's if if there is a, a higher game to be played, I think it's that second version. So yeah, you could say both people are doing good. It's wonderful to help people and serve people. I just talked about this with Larry Wilmore. He's like, end slavery, do it. I was like, yes. I would just say the next stage is to go, who's ending slavery? Like, who's doing the good thing? Is it Mario or is it the person playing Mario? And I would say the person playing Mario is your basic, stripped down, pure awareness that we all share that isn't really personal and really doesn't give a fuck about any of the game. It knows it's a game. That's what Leela means. My daughter's name is Leela. Yeah. That's what Leela means. It's the dance of life. It's the, it's the understanding that there's this that's going on, but I'm, I'm sort of observing it. I operate Pete, but really I'm just sort of going like, look at Pete go on this podcast. Boy, I hope he's not too boring. Well, <laughs> I, you know, obviously I know that, you know, in your twenties, you sort of had this beautiful sort of crisis of faith. And yet did you, can, do you always remember contemplating sort of life and existence since as far back as when you were a kid? Yeah. Do you? I do. I I remember feeling painfully different and unique from as far back as I can remember. And I remember, and I've said this before, that I felt as though everyone was either given an owner's manual to life that I wasn't privy to uh, or was given a, uh, a suit of armor that I wasn't given. So things affected me differently. Are you, are you a highly sensitive person? Is yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome. H HSP. You know, um, great artists. Great artists. Mm. Show me one of those kids with the suits of armor that's, you know, written blowing in the wind. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's happening. I don't, I, maybe it has. I don't know what they're doing. Let's not uh, judge. Um, what? So we're talking about alcohol and the story that alcohol tells. That's why I'm, I'm always interested in when we're talking about getting along in life, who told you that story? You know what I mean? Mm. And so you're saying that some people, when I hear you say that, I hear some people that you were growing up with bought the narrative more easily. You know what I mean? That's not the, that's not the hero. Frodo and Bilbo and the Shire, the Shire is the narrative that you've been given. Identity, where you're from, sure. safety, let's stay in, let's look at the fire, let's eat a roll, let's have family, that's all that stuff. The, the hero leaves. You're the hero. The hero is the HSP. The hero is the uncomfortable person. The hero is the one that looks around and goes, why is everyone just fine having Gandalf show up once a year for a fireworks display? They, that's why I'm saying it's grace. It's a gift to be uncomfortable. It's a gift to be itchy and, and strange and to feel odd because that gets you out of the Shire and that sends you on the journey. And on the journey you actually wake up to like, what was it that you were buying? What was it that your friends bought into so easily? And, and they can do that. Not everybody's going to be a hero, but what wonderful grace and good fortune that you are the hero, that you get to go on this journey. And, you know, just like the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, there's the moments where you're like, fuck this. You're almost going to die. You're climbing a tree and the orcs are chasing you or the dragon. I just watched the Hobbit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's so many moments where you regret it or you, you wish you could have just been that simple Nick Offerman guy back in the Shire with the ham and the eggs, you know? But like, is that all there is? is it's, a, it's a pretty big question. Are we just here to meet our needs, to meet the needs of our meat puppets? Are you fucking kidding me? That's the point of this 
is to walk peaceably down the street and have a cup of coffee? Get the fuck out of my face. How have we lost touch with the fact that we're floating in infinity? Not to scare you, not the void, the miracle, the improbable strangeness of what we're soaking in. It's insane. Consider it. And consider who you are. Who are you? What's looking out of your eyes right now? What's looking out your eyes right now? It's insane. But people treat it like a foregone conclusion. Of course I'm conscious. Of course I know. Of course you're in that one. I'm I'm in this one. That's insane. What's in that one? What's in this one? We don't know. We're doing our best, but we don't know. But it's hard too because like I remember hearing someone on a podcast and I'm going to butcher this, but they were making, they were saying something to the effect of like, these people who seem to have conservative right-wing values, and they were using it as an example of like being very much of service, like be it in their church or amongst foundations around their community. They Mm -hmm. were looking at a specific study showing like, well, the people that seem to be more liberal and left-leaning and and woke were not doing the service. They did less, they did less right? Yeah. And I've been guilty of that, of being so fucking awake and being so um, arrested by right. all this. And while then I've seen other people who might have ideology that I don't necessarily agree with, then but their actions are 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 virtuous, right? My church, which I, the, the church I grew up in, I don't agree with everything that they believe, but yeah, they're feeding more people than, than I am for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I would just say it's all in the game. Mm. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's fine. Let's, I, I don't want to, I don't want everyone to leave the Shire. Then there's no Shire. Yes. What I'm saying is it's a special thing. It's a calling and it's interesting. And the people in the Shire, they, they have, the ones that stay aren't valueless. I'm saying what it's exciting that you get to be the one yes. with the sword that glows blue. Go be that guy. Yeah, we make the movies about that guy. That doesn't mean it's you know necessarily more valuable than the people. Because you're right. We, I don't want to look down on the salt of the earth good people. I'm just saying there's a potential that there might be more going on here than just you know the plot of the story. So were you an uncomfortable kid? Yeah, I, re- I remember, I was actually just writing about this this morning, um, was the, the fundamental question I had was just, what is this? I think it's really important to hold on to that, because mm. we were saying foregone conclusion, people are just like, this is this. What are you talking about? Like, e- eat your french fries, shut up. Yeah. You're like, it's this. And I, ha- I ran into a lot of, what are you talking about? And it, it's so boring, and it sounds a little bit pretentious to say, but like, I would look at a fire and I'm just like, what's fire? And they'd be like, well, it's the rapid oxidation of exothermic, you know, blah, 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 combustion. And you'd be like, you've said nothing. (laughs) You know what I mean? You've taken a concept as wild and as abstract as fire and we've sent it through our brains and and, and we have these ways to recreate and reproduce and split and the, the scientific method and Greek logical thinking, left brain thinking. It's wonderful stuff. But there's this other part of me that still aches, which is for the esoteric and and the mysterious and not looking for an answer necessarily, but the question of what is fire taking me to a place that felt familiar, that felt good to be in. Not bad, void, cold, dark, death, just contemplation of a basic thing. It could be a flower. It could be fire. It could be you me looking at you, any any sort of thing like that would take me to a place. But I, I, I remember doing that 
when I was a kid. And that would manifest in like being very interested in UFOs and very interested in Bigfoot, very interested in like afterlife experiences, like near death experiences. Mm. These are all just sort of like little slivers of possibility of like, if that, then this, and if this, then what does that mean? If this guy was abducted by an alien, what does that mean? You know what I mean? That's a, that's a big question. And it's way easier to talk about like a Marvel reboot or to eat a Cinnabon. But I think it, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. We can go in comfortable in our unknowing and just sort of feel the experiment of like, well, if there's aliens, what does that mean? <laughs> When's the last time you had a Cinnabon? Most important. I don't eat Cinnabons, but there is a place. I'm a bad... Oh, you're a vegan. I'm a bad vegan. Right. I'm, you I, look I've great, been, by the way. No bullshit. I appreciate that. You look man. good, man. Thank you. Yeah. Svelte, they might say. I've been uh, intermittent fasting. Me too. What's your window? No way. Tell me everything. <laughs> See, two LA jerks not, help, <laughs> not helping anybody. Exactly. Intermittent fasting. It is... The, I haven't talked about it on my own podcast. It is the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Right. I actually like it. I told you that my brain is good at uh, taking orders. Mm. So I can say, stop drinking. I have to give it intel. <laughs> I have to give it data <laughs> right. to say, here's why. But it'll it's persuadable. And with uh, food, I just, I realized I was like, I am a vegan. And I eat a lot of like plants. I'm not like a bread vegan. I eat a lot of plants. I eat a lot of like superfoods, like a real asshole diet. But like, I was always like pretty soft. I wasn't uncomfortable with it. I was just like, what's going on? Yeah. I don't really like exercise very much, but I wasn't, I also wasn't like eating. And then I stopped drinking and I was like, well, I'm going to lose a lot of weight. And I didn't. It was because every night I'd like get a jar of peanut butter and just kind of like nibble on the peanut butter. Have like a half a jar some night, like a calorie. It's a ton of calories. Or I do with hummus, like all sorts of things that are vegan and fine, I guess. But like very high in calories is almost done for those of you that are almost turning this off. Then Kurt Braunohler told me about it. My window is uh, 11 to 6. Nice. I'm 11 to 7. I 11 do eight to 7. Hours. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I, I do 11 to 7, but I say 11 to 6 because I want to be done eating by 7. Fair. So I eat at 6, 6.30. Same here. With the same window. It's great. Dude, easiest fucking thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And I thought it would make me like think about food more, makes me think about food so much less. Because mm. it's just where, as opposed to like the grazing model where you can eat at any time, you're just always eating, then you're always like open to what am I going to eat? So it would always be like a program, like a computer program taking up some of my RAM. It was the what am I going to eat program. So it'd always be checking in something salty. You want something sweet? Yeah. You want, are you thirsty? You want coffee? You want tea? You know, whatever it is. And now I just go like, it's 8.30 a.m. and we're not eating until 11. And it goes, aye, aye, captain. And it just goes away. So that program closes. The RAM is freed up. I can use that RAM. Here's the best thing to use it for. Nothing. Just empty space. Just like nothing is going on. The brain can relax. We're talking about alcohol. One less thing to think about. And then... I don't feel a panic to eat during that time. You know what I mean? I, like today I didn't eat until maybe 12, 1230. I, I'll still stop by seven. And then uh, it works out to usually about two meals a day. And then and then I feel less bad if I cheat or something. So that, to answer your question, now Val and I, I've, it's made my veganism worse <laughs> because I feel like I'm being healthy in this other way. Sure. 
But there's this place that we go and they have this toast. I don't, it's like a, I forget what it's called, but it tastes like a Cinnabon. And it is the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. And we actually talk about it when we eat it. It kind of goes back to what we were saying. We were like, I wonder, I feel like most people will go most of their lives, their whole lives potentially, without eating something that is this delicious. Oh, fuck. You think about the Nick Offerman character that we've created. I'm like, he won't. And would he like it if he ate it? I feel like he would say Cinnabon's better. <laughs> it might be better. Cinnabon's fucking delicious. Cinnabon is delicious. <laughs> but, uh, you know, have you had the, um, have you ever had Fresh Brothers? They're vegan pizza with the fucking impossible meatballs on it. No. Treat yourself one of these days. Oh my God. Get excited. And it is so much better than a traditional fucking oh meatball pizza. Oh my God. Because it's somehow like, I feel like I'm hacking my taste buds. Yeah. And then it's literally like attached itself to all the delicious components to what these things are. Yeah. So it's just satisfying you on a whole other. I, I would choose it over a normal pizza. Whoa. I can't believe it. I believe it. And I eat that. I eat the animals. And I, yet I'd still do it. There's the re have you been to Crossroads? Oh, it's great. It's the best. It's a bougie vegan restaurant. Bougie vegan. Now we're really getting unrelatable, I guess. Fuck them. President Clinton goes there. Does Ellen, he? Ellen DeGeneres. President yes. Clinton goes there? Yes. Get the fuck out of here. I think it's weird. Yeah, he loves it. Well, oh, he he might my. not still be, but remember he had like a quadruple bypass because right. he loved McDonald's right. and became a vegan for a hot minute? That's hilarious. Well, Val and I were just there. We like to go for weekday brunch. Weekend brunch, actually the menu isn't as big. Hmm. You go weekday brunch or lunch. We call it brunch because it's usually early. But um, they have like Impossible Burgers on the menu now. They usually have a special one. They have the fast food one. Then they have a special one. Yes. It's the, it's the only place we go where we take a bite and then you like just sort of have that moment of like, what? Delivered. You, you just, <laughs> you've been delivered. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So as much as we can talk about like the 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 trick is getting out of the game, man. Sometimes it's just great to be in the game and go. It's it's the Matrix. Remember where Joey Pants eats the steak and he goes, "Ignorance is bliss." Oh yeah, that's that moment for me. I eat the burger and I go, "I'm glad I'm here. I hope I go around again. This is fun." I just want to eat a steak <laughs> with Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, I mean the way he pronounced "hua." In The Sopranos, Hua. shut up, you fucking hua. Oh my like, god, oh, he was so such powerful. a scary character. I, but it's true, right? Like now with you know that we're both fathers, like yeah. it, it's very much in quotes a part of that matrix. When I get home and I'm bogged down with self and my career and what's going on with me, and then you know this kid smiles at me or his version of a half smile because he's only five weeks yeah. old. And it distracts me and gets me out of self. Yeah. And it's still, that's still that catnip. And yet it's like a welcomed sort of beautiful escape from self for a hot minute. Yeah. I, I, maybe there's a bias here, but I'm like, I think it's pretty valid. I do too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you could look at your baby as a great teacher or a teaching either way. Yeah. Is the idea that like, I, I, I think of Leela like this all the time. You want to talk about self and you want to talk about the stories that you're believing and you want to ask who wrote those stories. Um, and then I look at my baby and she has no agenda. You and I both have, I'm trying to have less and less as I get older, but we both have agendas. I try to have as few as possible, but a lot of people would be like, I'm a man, I'm an American, I'm a Bostonian, I'm a Red Sox fan. 
uh, I love my mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't you dare say a word about my mother. It's like a big story you carry yeah. around. I think that's an interesting one to challenge, actually. When someone who doesn't know your mother says something about your mother, like, what? who told you that? You know what I mean? Why are you getting caught up in someone who doesn't know your mother calling your mother a hua? Like, <laughs> sure. why? What are you doing? Don't you see that there's an opportunity there to be like, wait, what? Why am I... Why am I a puppet with so many strings on me? No, you have to avenge them. Exactly. Yeah. But then, so I'd like to have as few strings as possible. Like my baby. My baby has very few strings. You can go into my baby and say, you ain't shit. <laughs> you can say the Patriots ain't shit. Tom Brady can suck my, you know, like who fuck, I, what do you got? What do you, she has nothing. So she's just what I'm saying. She's luminous emptiness, I call her. She's just being. She's just there. She's present. We took her, unfortunately, we had to go to the emergency room. She had a urinary tract infection. They can get that that young? Yeah. Jesus. Change the, I'm not saying we did something wrong, but do change the diaper as much as you can. That's like a way to prevent it, I guess. I do like, uh, we're going through 12 a day. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So, you know, you just want to make sure you're cleaning. Well, you have a boy, so it's a little bit different. So the, the little baby vagina can hold poop in there a little bit. You have to be more careful with the vagina. Jeez. Yeah. Terrifying. Although I, I suppose your baby has a little foreskin, I'm guessing. Or was it circumcised? We always chopped Yeah, you're it, chosen. Mutilated it. You're chosen. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, I felt more comfortable about after your conversation with Jay Duplass, uh -huh. where you talked about sort of like the ceremonial aspect to yeah. it. And that if you're going to do a silly thing, at least have a little oomph behind it. That's like so a bit funny. of a story. Yeah. Have, have a cultural identity tied to it if you're going to do something like that. I remember it was 10 a.m. the day after my, my son was born. And they're like, we're going to take him for the circumcision. And to that point, I was very cavalier thinking like, of course we're going to do it. I'm a Jew. Yeah. Like I, it's harder to clean, blah, blah, blah. And then the moment they take my son out of my arms and I'm like yeah. following them into the little mini operating room, I'm like, this my, is barbaric. My stomach just dropped. I can't. <laughs> because what would happen when we took baby Lee to the emergency room, which is not what the Clooney showed us on TV. It, it's not like the door is barging and you get immediate. It's just a, it's just a nighttime hospital. Yeah. <laughs> with a two hour wait and everybody's very relaxed. You know what I mean? Like you're just kind of sitting with your sick kid and she was fine. She just had a fever and we got a little concerned. We were pretty concerned and our doctor told us to go to the ER. So we went to the ER and they gave her, um, a catheter, uh, which sucks because they have to test your pee. That's how you do it. So they put this little catheter in her tiny vagina. And it, <laughs> oh and my God. I know, and it, and it was the worst. It was really bad. I felt like an upkick of dad energy. Val often has dad energy. It's just the one that's a little bit more cut and dry. Little le the the borders aren't bleeding out as much. Less emotionally available, I guess. This is one well, like cleaner. Um, sometimes I have the more mom energy, but in this instance, Val was like really traumatized by it. Um, we both were, but I said to her afterwards, I was like, she doesn't, she doesn't build stories. You know what I mean? Mm. You think that she's doing what we do, which is acting on beliefs, strings on your puppet. And where those strings violated. Obviously, she has a vague sense that we keep her safe, but she's not building as complex of a web of strings as we do, which is 
nighttime is when I sleep. She doesn't. So at the ER, she's just like, this is happening. You know what I mean? She's yielding to that so much more naturally than even we were. We're like, it's nighttime. We should be at home. This wait is taking too long. She's just there. Then she went down and something unpleasant happened. But when it was over, she seemed over it because she wasn't. First of all, I, I hope it wasn't painful. It was just weird. But then there's also like, we suffer because we tell a story about what it means. You know what I mean? Sure. So like when you tell me my mother's a whore, right? I get mad because there's a story there. I, I allow you to violate the idea that I have of my mother when really nothing's happened. If I was in the moment and conscious in that moment, I'd be like, Not, nothing's happened. Nothing's occurred. Some sounds happened. And I think that's the place my baby is in. You know what I mean? Val's like, she thinks that she can't trust us now. And I'm like, I don't think she's doing that yet. No. That comes later where you go, my car is my sanctuary. You know what I mean? You don't, <laughs> don't bang on my window like that. My car is my sanctuary. <laughs> like you, you have those beliefs that can be violated later. You build them later. I feel like she, our baby is more in the moment. I hope that's true. It's, I could have gone the other way and just been like, you're right. This is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually conceded that. She was like, she's going to have this weird, vague, traumatic memory. And I was like, yeah. And she'll have the weight and the gravitas and the presence of human beings that have suffered. And, and that that's, that's valuable too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you talk about dad energy. Cause like my best friend has two boys um, and they're two and three years old and he lives with his mother-in-law or she lives with him, he and his wife. So the boys are around a lot of female energy and nine times out of 10, we'll pick mom and grandma before dad, just cause the, their dynamic. Yeah. And then my friend was telling me an interesting story about how his son is an allergic kid, had sort of an episode one night where he wasn't breathing well and they got really nervous and they were like, let's just call the ambulance. Better be safe than sorry. So the ambulance comes and it's all these burly firefighters coming in and around his two-year-old. He's like, and I couldn't believe it, but my son immediately went to me and was like, what is this dad? Like, who are these people? Oh, wow. Like, he found comfort in the fatherly energy. That's what happened after my wife left. Mm. I was never close with my brother or my father. And I was always super close with my mother. And then I, one of the reasons I got married was because my mom told me it was a good idea. I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying I took, I put so much the first stock. Time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> They've had nothing to do with anything since. Solid. <laughs> Glad to hear that. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. But when I was 22, I got married when I was 22. My mom at Chili's telling me you should get married uh, was enough for me to be like, I'm going to get married. Were you guys eating jalapeno poppers? We were eating the chips and salsa. Great. Never ending. What an real amazing thin offering. chip, real sweet salsa. God, there's Not only one. Sweet, there's only good. one Chili's in L.A. and it's an Encino. <laughs> Just and you go. You know. All the time. <laughs> I've not not been there. <laughs> we ate so many of those chips and we held hands and prayed and they dropped the check while we were praying, which I love. Because um, you imagine the waiter was like, ah, oh, fuck. Of course. Like, oh, I've been I the waiter do? that dropped the check while people were praying. It's never fun. You're like, eh, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, man. And you know you're only going to get 10% because they often don't give more than they give the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I, That's actually not true. We, I, I, when I was a, a identified as a Christian person or in the church, let's say, I, I was a good tipper. So that's not necessarily true. But was there moments having such religious upbringing where like you can remember 
seeing the strings or seeing holes and things like what was the first time that you sort of became hip to that i think there was always through it all there was a gnawing feeling that we didn't believe what we say we believed because like as a christian okay so if i had met you my faith would have told me that you were going to hell right and i thought it was weird then that i went to school with a lot of jewish kids it was predominantly jewish um why then wasn't I using every second of every day to try and tell you the good news? You know what I mean? Uh, well, because it, it, I, I, I can only speak for myself, and I believe that there are people that maybe had more conviction than me, but my church had a lot of answers for that. Like, God works in mysterious ways is one. So like, I, w- I would be like, why would you ever be a cab driver? When the only thing that matters is what happens, you're either going to marshmallow sandwiches and ambrosia on a cloud forever, or you're going into a furnace forever. So this finite period of time, 80 years if you're lucky, what is that in in the face of eternity? 80 years to eternity, nothing. It matters nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's a blink. It was a blink. It's not even a blink. It was nothing. So... Why pursue anything other than telling people this information, these thoughts that I wanted you to also have? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for your sins. Just think that. Please, just think that and have that in your head and you'll be okay. Then go to the baseball game. You know what I mean? But I didn't see that fervor because that looks insane, to be honest. It's not good optics for the faith to be on. Some people do it. On uh, outside the Staples Center, yeah, go down into Koreatown, people with the bullhorn and stuff. And our church was like, you know, that's not really effective. We do it this way, and and maybe they did believe that. But for me, I was like, if we believe that this is real, that hell is real, and you're going, you're going there, you, yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I call it Jew Club, Jew Club Club Med. Oh my God. (laughs) Jesus was Jewish. Don't forget. <laughs> he really was. We all kind of are Jews. Actually, that's so funny. Every time Jesus is asked like an ethical question, especially by like a Jewish person, he tells them to be a good Jew. You can you can put that in your in your cap. Really? Yeah. He's always like, "Be a, what does the law say?" Is what he's always saying. Wait, what does the law say? Wait till I send that out to the Mishpucha group chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was in Israel, see, but I mean, you, your 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 surroundings change how you interpret things, and there were so many Jews in Israel, and so we would. So that's a discrepancy, right? When I was studying in Jerusalem, we we would find ourselves finding more sympathetic Jewish sympathetic interpretations of the same text because there were so many of them. And now they're our reality mm. in the same way that a pastor has a gay son. And now he's a little bit more lenient on the gays. Well, which was it? You know what I mean? Is it this or is it not this? And the answer is for me, it's not this. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go with that. Yeah. It's not this. And, and obviously a big one for me was, uh, if it's not this, then then what is it? I mean, don't just stop. Don't just go, it's not this. Let's just drop all of it. Let's say, what was it? Why did this stick around? Let's really explore it. But then the big one for me was when my wife left, I thought it was in like God's protection plan and that didn't work out. So tragedy is often one of the ways that people lose their faith. But that that really just sort of, you know, 
that was a good excuse to follow an impulse that I was quietly having, which was like, if we really believe this, I think I would be behaving differently. And I'm not. When I'm with my Jewish friends or my atheist friends or whoever, I, I didn't want to convert them because I didn't, I didn't actually think I had good news for them. I thought I had bad news for them. <laughs> yeah. But, and yet, isn't that those moments, those like turning points and like, I always say like alcoholics respond well to catastrophe because mm -hmm. it wakes them up for a second. And, and yet had you chosen not to sort of embrace this inner gut feeling and maybe double down on your faith and said, well, I just need to go at this harder or there are things right. that I'm not, you might've lost that, right? I mean, don't you think there are people who are those ultra religious people that they might've had those crises, 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 a <laughs> religious crisis, rice crises, <laughs> rice crises. Yes. Delicious cereal. Um, like I, I imagine it's like all how we react to these sort of pivotal moments. Yeah, I suppose a friend of mine said that to me. He was like, you could have gone the other way. I was like, what right. a cliche. I lost my faith. He's like, you could have easily gone the other way. Mm. You could have been like, well, she's fallen and I'm chosen so long, sucker. Like, you're fucked. You had an affair. I'm going to. And a lot of people do that. I yeah. have friends that who in the Christian world whose wives left them. And then like six months later, they had like another church wife you know what i mean it's like okay hectic they're on the outside now but i'm gonna stay in the in the community i'm gonna stay in the shire and and were you the funny kid at christian camp like were you always yeah like, comic well, relief? i have a, a a softness for all of it for the church one is that it did give me a natural curiosity and an introduction to big questions um and and ways to grapple with them that i still some of which i still enjoy and it it gave me a very safe and nurturing place to try and be funny. And that was the first places that was the first place that I tried stand up and stuff. I was never like in it deep enough to be like one of the popular kids at youth group that would like do the sketches or like have some sort of catchphrase or a nickname. But um once or twice my youth pastor would like let me use the microphone and tell a story. I, I would do a Bill Cosby impression, regrettably. <laughs> but um that was where I would like it it, it was safe enough. Like School and even high school, certainly high school, didn't feel safe enough to act that way. But in church, everybody was sort of on their best behavior, you know, having just been told to love your neighbor, like you're going to be nicer when, when the, when the soft kid gets up to try stand up. Try his, uh, jello pudding. Zip. Well, that's what it was. It was Eddie Murphy's impression. But you, but. can anyone watch the Cosby show anymore? You can't, right? Now knowing what we know. I don't, I can't. I, will they, will they even air it? I don't know. I no, think there's right? a, I guarantee uh, that there is a contingent that's holding out and, and still, still enjoying it because I, it, it's such a psychologically powerful show. I mean, if I saw some of it, it would certainly be, I would be at odds with myself. I mean, it's not comparable, but it's kind of how I feel about Kanye West now in that I want to tell him like, Kanye, you're ruining 2008 Kanye. Yeah. Like, I can't even like your good shit. I know. Because you're acting so bananas. I know. That, that's, a, that's a bigger, 
that's a bigger issue. You saw me check the time. I do think we should uh, probably wrap up ish. Yes. I don't want to. The guy with the longest podcast in the world is like, I gotta go. Not but at I, all. I do have to. What do you do got? Something. Five minutes. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, we can go till three. Um. So speaking of uh, of of drinking, what about our boy Artie Lang? What's going on? This was like I a think new I, today. Wasn't the there tweet today? This morning or yesterday? I didn't see that tweet. I saw responses to the tweet. What was the tweet? Uh, it said from Team Lang, I believe. But it was I, something. I think I saw that one. But that, wasn't that in response? I thought it was just like that. Uh, he's going into a long-term sort of treatment program. Yeah, and that they'll keep us updated. I mean, me and Jed Apatow, who produces my show with me, um, we've always thought like we've always said like said to Artie, it's like just go into a long program. Yeah. Like, it sounds like you've had your struggles in the past and obviously we lost Harris to addiction and stuff. These, these rehab programs, I'm not an expert. I'm just saying they sometimes seem too short. Mm. You know what I mean? Like just, just in my own limited experience, I've been like, who says I should have asked Dr. Drew when he did the podcast. What is it? Is it three months or something? It's like you go for three months, some some twenty eight days, some it's like a, a year. court ordered. Yeah, with my not fully informed fantasy for my dear friend Artie is like a longer thing. This seems like a big deal. Let's not give you the like. Well, you know, you can do this for whatever the court thinks is right, even though it seems kind of short, and then we'll let you back into the world. I think we need, you know a new infrastructure. You need like a real fresh start. So if, if he is going into something longer, that's my best idea. You know what I mean? Like, cause nobody, nobody knows more than Artie that he needs to stop. Like he knows and nobody wants, I think he wants to stop. I just don't think he can. So he needs help and he needs more than like the little dose of help. He needs the big dose of help. So I hope that's what this is. I remember on the first and I'm such a huge Stern fan. So I've tracked his sort of, life over the last 15 years and but i remember on the first episode of crashing and when you guys are sitting eating pizza and he's doing his sort of monologue and thinking like fuck this is so good oh yeah it's like not fair i know like how good and i think i i remember hearing you talk maybe on your pod about how like he had come to the audition and didn't even do the lines yeah that's true and and that judd would sort of tell you to start like just sort of embracing like Get stories from Artie yeah. and then write around that Yeah, to a certain extent, right? Totally. I mean, nothing in that pizza place scene was written. I, I'm happy to- It was all was, improvised? It was all improvised. Yep. Wow. And we shoot on film. So the, the reason I mentioned that is because it's 15 minutes in the reel. And it's expensive. It's also expensive. So mm. it's, it's pricey to riff. But Judd was directing. So it when Judd directs, it's like- uh, it's whatever sort of he wants. the golden ticket. Yeah, he gets whatever he wants as he as he should. Um, so he was not as concerned about that. So he puts the big reel on the on the camera, and then I think he just said he just yelled out like Artie, just tell Pete everything you would tell a young doughy eyed comedian that was just starting out, and that's what he did. And then you know in the in the in the wide or whatever we had to remind him of what he said so he could do it again. But he knew he was very, very professional mm. and he acts really beautifully in that scene. And at the end, the whole crew and everybody that was there, all the writers, everybody just applauded because he had just done something 
really remarkable. Yeah. So that is like, you know, a lot of people probably, I, I'm sure know a lot of addicts and their hearts hurt for them. But when there's somebody whose job is to been to like give entertainment, millions of people, you know, fall in love with Artie and are invested in Artie. And it's moments like that that you understand. You're like, oh, that's why you see the the value of Artie so so clearly that it hurts you when when he's, you know, struggling. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you watch that scene, you're like, and it's been interesting on Crashing. We've all watched his you know, his nose sort of change on the show. It I mean, it caved in, but like, if you watch the first episode is the pilot and then the second episode is months and months later. And even then, I think that was when he had had the incident that led to the, I don't know. Somebody would say, you can't believe necessarily what Artie says, but I mean, I think there was an incident with snorting glass. That's the story that I heard. and yeah. it happened in between the pilot and the second episode. So you saw a change starting to happen. That'll really break your heart is to watch your friend's face deteriorating. It's, so it's I, such I want a heartbreak. Well. I remember Chris Rock came on Howard Stern and this was like when he was falling asleep in the middle of the show. And, yeah. And Howard's like, what do I do? And Chris was like the only one who had ever said like, oh, you fire him. Yeah. Like, that's it. It's the only thing that'll work for someone like this. And Stern kind of took that like, well, like, you know, can he shows up for work. He does a great job. And he's like, okay. Yeah. He's like, but, and, but it's a tough position. It's it, so That helps hard. me understand why some people are like, you're enabling him. You're enabling him. I see that on like Twitter or some from time to time. People. Um, all right. So last two questions sure. really quick. I'm such a fan of your pod. You've been doing it for six years. I don't know. Yeah. A while. Yeah. What's been what what's been the most revealing thing or or the thing that you've learned most from doing the pod over the last couple of years? Like your biggest takeaway from either your interview style or the way you go into it or or what you feel you've improved. I was I, I don't know if this is the biggest thing but it's the most recent thing is I, I was talking to Val. I talk to Val a lot. <laughs> your wife. <laughs> I talk to my wife a Every lot. now and then. I mean, we really are just what the other person wants. So we just hang out a lot. And um, I was talking to her about, I was just saying to her, I was like, I need to remember to go into the interviews with an intention for Mm. me and for them, but also for me. Even if it's simple as like, be curious or be supportive or be enthusiastic or be funny. Like there's all these different, you, as long as it's something, it's like improv. When when we would do improv, when I did improv theater, it's like go into the scene with something. Even if it's just I'm grumpy or I'm drunk or I have a wooden leg. It doesn't matter. Just something to kind of like, it's the little piece of snow that'll roll into the snowball. But the ones that I go in and I don't have too much forethought and I don't give myself some sort of mark to hit or an intention. Um, those are the ones that they end up being fine episodes. People tend to not notice, but those are the ones that I'm like, I don't know about that one. Yeah. But when I remember to go like, even for this, I was like, it's going to be like this. And then at least I know what I'm aiming for. And that helps me get it. So, so the power of setting an intention is, is really, really important. And also taking a moment to consider how do you want the guests to feel mm. is, is really important. It took me a long time to realize 
why often when you do other people's shows, they tell you how grateful they are to have you or whatever it is, because that puts people at ease, you know, these little cues to tell them that they're welcome and that you like them and that they're safe yeah. or you can you remind them, them to win. You want them to win. This is our show. Yes. Like you can say, you could say the most racist, horrible thing. I'll take it out. If you don't like it, I'll take it out. Like I'm not here to swindle you. Totally. And then everybody kind of dissolves into it a little bit more naturally. I remember driving over here and being like, oh, man, he's always quoting Ram Dass and Richard Rohr and Rob Bell. And I don't know any quotes. Like, I don't know any like, quotes. Like, I'm, like, I'm like, oh, well, we're just, we're both seekers. Seekers. Yeah, got it. Okay, let's do this. Well, there you go. There's your intention. Well, yes. I'll go in and be a seeker. Um, okay, last question I asked this of everyone on the pod. What are your one or two Pete Holmes commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you would want to impress upon someone else? Hmm. Well, I'll give you the most recent one. Is, um, is Every time I hang out with my family, specifically my father, and I love my dad, but I get a little glimpse into how his brain works sometimes. I'm talking about my brain, and I got my brain from my parents mm. in part. And uh, whenever I hang out with my dad, I always want to write on my mirror don't forget you might be wrong. So that's a really important one. And because what really turns me off is when people resign to how they are or to how their lives are or even to how they think. So the idea of like, don't forget you could be wrong. It's another way of saying, don't believe everything you think. I know you think it. I know you think it. There's other things at play here. The world is bigger than the story you're telling yourself. So don't forget. It's another way of saying, stay flexible. That's I know it sounds stupid. It's kind of what keep it crispy means. It's like, stay vibrant. Stay active. Stay alive. Keep some air in your dough. Keep moving. Keep growing. I hate when people... I don't hate, but I, I don't like it in myself. And it breaks my heart when I see it in other people. When they're just like... I'm uh, I'm nervous. It's just how I am. <laughs> yes. Come on. Come on. Life is long. I'm Let's socially awkward. I'm that socially awkward. Me. Sorry, I'm always saying things that hurt people's feelings. I have a diagnosis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like who you've cares? labeled it and your brain is like held on to it. We are be we're so much more like water than we think. Mm. We're redefining ourselves in every moment. Every day is a new opportunity. And our brains are tricky, but they're not who you are. And we can work with them. Sometimes our brains take us over, but I like to think of my brain as an employee. And if it's fucking up, we're going to work on it. We're going to give it new ideas. We're going to give it new people. We're going to give it new experiences. We're going to read new books. We're going to listen to new podcasts. We're going to watch different kinds of shows. Let's, some benefits. Let's watch some good things. Yeah. Let's fill it with some light because it's a work in progress. Who you are that you're so sure of isn't who you were 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Wasn't you when you were a teenager. And when you were a teenager, you were pretty fucking sure that's who you were. Hmm. So don't stop. Don't believe everything you think. Don't forget you might be wrong. And don't stop. Peter Holmes. <laughs> Peter. <you> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thank I appreciate you for having it. me, man. Awesome. That was it. Pete Holmes. Peter Holmes, as I like to call him. What a great conversation, no? Yes. Thank you. Watch Crashing. Here comes the second plug. Crashing on HBO. Treat yourself. What a viewing experience. I love it. Third season out now. Thank you, Pete. Um, guys, 
Have an incredible week. I know I'm going to try to. And here I am. Listen, here I sit on a Sunday night full of dread and uh, expectations of how the week shall go. And yet, for better or for worse, if I just suit up and show up and get to places on time and try to, you know, put my bet, best bet fucking, if I try to articulate words correctly, if I put my best foot forward and I try not to be reactive and I try to do for people other than myself, most likely the week will work out. So, oh, oh, I wanted to share something before we go, and I'm so glad that I remembered. Last week, I was at Carnegie Mellon University, and I was doing one of my college talks, which I've come to like really enjoy, where I talk to you know a couple hundred, sometimes like a thousand kids. And I talk about my life and my career, and it's kind of like a quasi stand-up set, Q&A bit thing. Sometimes I have a moderator. It's it turned out to be really fun, and, and I open up to a Q&A after. And, and sometimes the, the questions tend to be wide-ranging from really fun questions to slightly annoying questions. But for the most part, they're like... They're, they're usually really fun and good, and sometimes they're kind of like deep and insightful. And, and I remember... The last question of the night was from this kid and he said something to the effect of like, you know, you've made it through like the trials and tribulations of being a kid actor and, and, you know, now you've got like, you've lost a hundred pounds and you've got a kid now and, and you just seem to like always be able to maintain happiness. Like, how have you been able to stay happy? And I don't know what's wrong with me, but I, instead of me taking that in, And feeling like, you know what, I was reasonably funny this last hour. I got some good laughs, good enough to where I felt like I did my job. Maybe I should just answer this kid who's asked me a pretty earnest question. Because I don't know, and I don't mean to project, but maybe he's gone through his own challenges in life, as is the human experience. And maybe he was looking to me to say like, wow, you too seem to have gone through things and seem to maintain a certain level of of certain happy disposition, which I too have looked out at other people and been in awe of of people's ability to deal with what life threw them and, and keep sort of a good outlook. And instead of like, taking that in and answering him honestly and and trying to like serve him and give him some insight. I just made some fucking stupid joke. Like, because I'm so, I, I don't mean to like, I'm not going to kick this shit out of myself because I'm okay. But like, you know, fucking, but I just got into that like need, this like bottomless hole thing where it was like, it wasn't enough that I made them laugh for an hour. I needed to go out on a joke. I, I couldn't, you know, let this moment sit. I couldn't sit in the in-between. I couldn't, you know, be comfortable in between the laughs. I had to create something. I couldn't couldn't get real with this kid. Now, I made some joke, and it, it was, like, fine. The joke was, like, a C-plus at best. And I don't know, maybe it was because I felt the need to, like, end it with a chuckle. But I didn't really answer his question. I didn't really say anything fucking funny. And like, that was it. And the night still went great. And I'm sure it didn't sit with the kid. I actually met him after and he was lovely. And if you're listening to this dude, it was great meeting you. And I I don't know. I just felt like an instant connection with you, man. Because it seemed as though you, like Pete, was talking about. And I, we were just like similar folk. 
like I, I just sort of, I don't know. I saw someone who's like walking the same path. Um, someone with a similar ethos, but it's something I, I felt like I needed to look at. Like you fuck fucking, why can't you just let go for a minute and be okay with the silence and that you don't have to people please this crowd because like you did your job. And sometimes it's like not always about being like the clown and super funny and like, Oh my God, please laugh so that I know I'm okay. That I know I'm a value. Like maybe it's okay to be quiet and earnest and that, you know, a life experience, like the trials and tribulations that we all go through and in sharing that and identifying is how we make, we make it all worthwhile. I mean, that's it. These hard things that we've all gone through, like the thing that makes it worth it is, is that if we can look at a like a a fellow and say, I know what you're going through right now. And I walk through something similar. And if I can get through it, so can you, you know, the power of like, forgive me, me too. And I was going to make a joke right there, but I'm going to abstain and take my own fucking advice. So anyway, have a great week. Love y'all. Thank you so much for listening. This is a pleasure. Love you guys. Bye.